Well, good morning, Soma. I realize that after today, we only have two more Sundays left in Isaiah. And I think the only bright spot in that statement is, is I was sharing this with a, with a person I work with in our building who's also a, a pastor. And I was telling him that we are finishing Isaiah and we'll be done by the time July is over. And I was telling him that it's, it's a bummer because we're really getting to the, some really bright spots. And he said, well, the bright spot is you're not done with the book. You're only, I mean, you're done with the book, not the entire Bible. And then I shared that we'll be moving into Galatians, and he was excited for us. I can't wait either as we start digging into the, to that book. So today we're going to finish up 65 by going through verses 13 through 25. And remember that we started last week. We're talking about two sets of people. God has placed on earth the people of the earth into two camps, his people and his enemies. And we saw at the end of last week that, that there's a sword and therefore destruction in the destiny of God's enemies. So taking all of 65, you can consider it to be like three streams flowing into their final, their final body of water. These streams in 65, they've reached this final spot. And in this case, the passage will show us a point at which, plan, at which God's plan has been finalized. This is what will be, and this is the way. We have the first stream in verse 25 that summarizes Isaiah 11.9. 11.9 says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We have a judgment stream in verses 2.11 and 11.12, which we will see the contrasting of the outcomes of the two types of people today in verses 13 through 15. And finally, we have a remnant stream, which we will see in today's passage. This covers the glories that await God's people. This is like an early view of Christmas where you're allowed to peek at your presence. So verses 13 through 15 give us an account of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. We will see a world in which blessings abound in verse 16. These blessings in this new world are explained starting in 17, and we will see that passage start with the word for. This is meant to grab our attention because we are to see that God's intentions of this new creation of the heavens and the earth to include a new Jerusalem. In this city, blessings will abound, sin will be no more, and the entire world will be considered God's holy mountain. And we know all this is from God because verse 13, which starts our passage today, says, thus says the Lord God. And then verse 25 bookends it with says the Lord. Also today, I, it was great to be able to read this in my, in my going through the Bible in a year this week. And and I figured how great this is because 
we are going to see in verses 13 through 15 the answer to Jeremiah's question to God in 12, 1 through 3. And that says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do you, why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them, they take root, they grow, they produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. Think about that. That's so cool, especially in today's world. You hear they are near in their mouth, they confess God just with their mouth, but far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and, and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. And then in 12, 14, 17, just down the way from that passage, God answers Jeremiah and says, Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people in Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them from the land, from their land, and I will pluck them up from the house of Judah among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them again, each to his heritage, each to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people and to swear by my name, as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck them up and destroy it, declares the Lord. So today we're going to look at this passage in three ways. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16, verses 13 through 16, as God's people in a world of blessing. Verses 17 through 20, new creation, new city. And then we're going to end in verses 21 through 25, life in the new city and world. So let's look at the passage. Isaiah 65, 13 through 25. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servant shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, for the Lord God will put you to death, but his servants he will call by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever 
in that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children in calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The dust of the serpents, the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for how awesome you are and how we see you in this message written long before your first advent. We just thank you that we see a time that you're coming and we see that this is a time after your day of vengeance where we will get to be with you forever in this wonderful place, this new city with this new heavens and this new earth. And we will experience such joy, such wonderment. And we will never, ever remember the, the hurt and the shame. We thank you so much for this. We can't, we can't begin to explain, but we will have forever to try. Holy Spirit, just come now and, and quiet our hearts and our minds. Help us to shut out the world right now and just hear this message from your inspired word. We thank you so much. Amen. All right. Verses 13 through 16. God's people in a world of blessing. So we have a series of contrasting statements. We see people with distinctive experiences in 13 and 14 and a distinctive name in verse 15, and all of which is due to a worldwide blessing that we see in verse 16. And all this we see at the end of verse 16 is a new attitude that God will have. 13 and 14 start out, Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Therefore refers to all the foregoing promises we saw in 8 and 10 that God made to the people living in this lush world and then also the threats that we see in 11 and 12 telling his enemies of the fate that awaits them. Behold, my servants, links with verse 9, shall eat is in pure contrast of what we saw in the previous passage that sets a table um, for, for fate, the little g God, fate or fortune. Behold, my servants shall rejoice. This is great. 
This meeting of shall eat and rejoice gives us the picture of full nourishment. Not just a full belly, but in this holy place forever, we shall have every need met in a wonderful way forever. It will be so wonderful, but we, we can't help but sing. And our voices, get this, our voices will be beautiful. By contrast, we see here that those, became, those that became God's enemies will find themselves condemned to shame and a total lack of fulfillment. And that's to say the, the least of their problems. Their song will be different. It will be a wailing song of pain and brokenness. Now in 15 and 16, the topic of name is singled out. It says there is a name that leads to curse and death and another name God will call us, but it's not yet revealed. And I can't help but wonder if that's because maybe it will be revealed to us when we see in Revelation, when we get to heaven and we get that white stone that has our name singled in it. And it's a name that only we will know. And this name for us will link us to the blessings and allegiance of this God of truth. And us getting a new name, it's an awesome picture that we see of in Genesis 17:5 of Abram receiving the covenant from God, becoming the first person of God to be called his people. And when we receive this blessing from that covenant at will, we will see our name changed. When Jesus comes back, we will get that. We will become new people, and, and therefore, we will get that new name. The blessing in 16 also points to Abraham, and it points to him in Genesis 12, 3. We see God telling Abraham that God will bless those who bless him, and God will curse those who dishonor, dishonor him. So what we see in verse 16 can be said that whoever in the world would enter in a blessing designed for him will enter into the blessings in the God of truth. And those who link themselves to this new name are linked to God. You see, this is the character of the person, of the person their behavior has them running to a God who blesses them. This God of truth, or the God of amen, is only found here in this passage, and it's recalled in 1 Corinthians 1-2. But its meaning is clear. God is the he who says amen, and or has the power to say amen to all of his promises. He affirms their reality and his trustworthiness by keeping them. This worldwide enjoyment of the faithful God is followed by a worldwide commitment in the phrase, takes an oath and swears by it, swears by the God of truth. And then because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes, hidden from my eyes refers to what God has forgotten. 
the past is no longer valid before God and therefore has no being in this new presence. Verses 17 through 20. New creation, new city. For here, it's three letters, but it's a big word. And it's telling us the purpose of this poem from 1720 is to explain the worldwide blessings of the preceding section. Create here gives us the definite picture of newness. Heavens and earth represent the totality of things. We see this in the very first verse of Genesis 1.1, heavens and earth, but this will be new and the former things will be so shabby compared to this new creation, we will not even remember a glimpse of them. And this statement is one of those stop and think moments, right? I also often think of the wonderful times in my life with Colleen, times with our kids we've had and grandkids. And I tell Colleen, I will always remember this. But this verse says, I will not. And I will be in such a wonderful place, experiencing a love that you can't even imagine right now. So my mind will not even want to be drawn back to another time. The but in 18 is emphatic. Like stating but on the contrary of our past memories, we will only experience joy. Verse 18 gives us the double imperatives of glad and rejoice. This is a guarantee of great joy. Saying it both ways, God is telling us that there will be total joy. This forever indicates that there will be a final outcome. It will be abounding joy. And this joy will never depart. For the third time and the second in verse 18, God uses the word create again, stating he creates Jerusalem to be a joy. He's showing us that the same care that he used to create the city and the people will be the same that he uses to create the total environment. Verse 19. The new city and the new people exactly match the divine design. Nothing falls short in his plan for this new world. Nothing will be on back order. There are no supply chain issues and there will be no need for a suggestion box. It's not going to happen. And note the change to the term people in 18 and 19. It went from people to her people to my people. God is claiming his chosen here. Nothing in this newly created world will cause sorrow. Weeping means no felt pain. Weeping means felt pain forever. There will be no more pain and no more sorrow. In Genesis, during the creation, we saw God saying, it is good. In Genesis 2-3, we see God rested from the work that he had done in creation. 
in 19, at his completion, he says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad with my people. And when you stop and think about this, we're reading this, but at this time, we will hear this. If you can stop and imagine that, we are going to hear this. How impressive is that? The God of the universe will have his people around him forever and rejoicing, and he is going to announce this. Verse 20. Throughout this entire passage, Isaiah uses pictures of our current life to describe a life that we can barely imagine. Here he goes again, but he uses lifespan. Our future lives will be totally provided for. We saw that in 13. Totally happy. We see that in verse 19. Totally secure. We'll see that in 22 and 23. And totally at peace. We see that at 24 and 25. So things we can barely understand can be only expressed through things that we know now and have experienced. So verse 20 illustrates death. So to talk about death in this new world, first, you know, what we do in our mind is we think about people that we've known or experienced that have, that have maybe passed long before their time. So God is pointing out to us in 20 that death will be no more, gone forever. And the last line of it is setting is stating an example. It shares this, that if a sinner were even to make it into the new city and even live there for a hundred years, he will be plucked out, hunted down, plucked out, and removed forever because they are cursed. Verses 21 through 25, life in the new city and world. 21 through 25 projects the perfection of the life to come. We know that there will be security. We see it in 21 and 22. There will be fulfillment. We see that in 23. We will see a peace with God in 24. And then knowing that this whole new creation will be considered God's holy mountain, 25. In 21 through 22, we have two positive statements said in different ways. Ways that people of that day would understand. God promised the negative version, the negative version of verse, in verse 22 in, in Deuteronomy 28.30. Do you remember Deuteronomy 28.30? It says, you shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you will not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Verse 21 and 22 demonstrate a life that is right with God because we see a picture of the security of being in a home and having the garden. And the people of this day would have understood, understood the picture or the example of the vineyard mentioned here because it took so long to cultivate and then to produce wine from it required time 
and this means that a vineyard required steadily handing, steady handling, stability with care. And then we see another word picture similar to verse 20, the idea of longevity. And it's something that we understand, especially in California, the longevity of a tree. To us in this region, we think of the majesty of the giant sequoias, that some that can live over 3,500 years old. There's another tree that lives a lot longer in California, but if you look at it, it looks its age where the sequoias don't. Verse 23 moves on to the enjoyment. We will enjoy based on our labor. No calamity or doom will ruin our efforts. The doom was caused by disobedience, and that has taken place and is no longer an issue on this earth. So no longer will terror be lurking around every corner. We will not have pepper spray in heaven. And then the line, and their descendants with them. This means a direct line from parent to child. Here, our line, our children that make it into heaven will be with us, enjoying the blessings of heaven, the blessings of God. So in the new Jerusalem, we will not experience that horror of seeing our children pass but they will enjoy the same blessings as us because of God. 24 and 25, the uniting, the uniting thought between these two verses is oneness. The first example is there is such oneness of God that he anticipates our every need. And his ever watchfulness and blessings are good. Secondly, there is, there is such an identity of will that while we are still speaking or requesting, he is acting. And that harmony continues throughout. And by looking at verse 25, we get the idea that Eden here is restored. The old prey and predator relationships are no longer. Nature has changed and the top predators are now satisfied with hay. But somewhere in this picture of Eden, the serpent will still eat dust. And then God finishes with, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This positive picture of the wolf and the lamb together is enhanced when we see the statement that rules, that rules out damage and destruction. For God says the entire world is my holy mountain, the place where God dwells. Get this. God dwells with his people, and he is fully in control. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time to be before you, and the time where we see this, this message of finality and where we will be forever with you with such joy that we can never even imagine in this life. We thank you for these promises. We hope that they strengthen us, that we will endure hardships, knowing that we have a final place with you, and that is forever. 
We thank you so much. Amen.